Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Last week, uh, we finished looking at the symbols that are found in, in Revelation 1 with John's description of Jesus. And when he, when he turns around and sees Jesus for the first time, he, he, doesn't get, uh, he doesn't see Jesus as he expected him to be. Uh, he sees this incredible figure with some incredible uh, descriptions standing between seven uh, candlesticks. He's holding seven stars in his hands. Uh, now, of course, verse 20 gives us the, uh, tells us what those symbols of the candlesticks and the stars mean. So verse 20, Revelation 1, it says, The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So the seven stars are the angels that are serving the seven churches. But of course, seven uh, means 100% in uh, Scripture. So really what John is, what Jesus is saying is the candlesticks represent the entire church, you know, the church of Jesus. Uh, not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Church of Christ, the true Church of Christ. And the seven uh, stars are all the angels that God has sent to earth to minister to those churches. And again, when we say churches, we're thinking of like, oh, there's an angel of New Grace, there's an angel of Lakeside, there's an angel of, 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 of uh, Barnhart, there's an angel of Gospelite. Now, when he talks about the church, He's not talking about individual buildings or congregations. He's talking about believers. So we do, as believers, have ministering angels to us. Now, I don't know if they're guardian angels to make sure we don't do something stupid. I don't believe so because if so, my guardian angel's failing because I do a lot of stupid stuff. Uh, I really think the angels are there to guide us, um, not just the Holy Spirit, but they're there to maybe show us where we can minister, show us dangers that are ahead for our walk with God and things like that. Yeah. No, 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 you're fine. This is what this is for. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Of the churches. Yeah, I'm an angel. Because angel is, means messenger. It does, it does mean messenger. So uh, I've just seen several commentaries where, and even pastors have said that they believe it's the pastors of the churches, like John would have been yes. the pastor of yeah. the Yeah, right. The only thing I have with it, and I, I've heard that too, and the only reason I, again, these aren't definitive. And we're never going to know definitively until we see Jesus. And we can ask him, what did you, okay, you said this, and you said it like it was clear. It was not clear. Um, you know, what do you really mean? The only reason I, I kind of don't lean towards that is because they said, when he's talking about the churches, I don't think he's talking about individual congregations. I think he's talking about believers. We are the church. And we all don't have, you know, in our individual pastor to look after us. You know, we don't, you know, I think there's seven angels, there's seven stars, there's seven candlesticks. I, I, I think he, you know, again, I'm not, I don't think we got, I, I can't, I can't prove it otherwise, yes or no. I do, I can tell you a lot of people, 
when they have a loved one die, we'd be like, oh, granddaddy's an angel now. No, granddaddy ain't. Uh, granddaddy's in two, one of two places. He's in heaven or he's in hell, and that's it. He's not an angel, whatever. Um, but we, I think we do have the, now, talk to Debbie, you made me think. No, 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 that's good. Because I've always believed it to be, you know, angels, but, but as, as believers, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. So we don't need an angel to give us messages. So yeah, all right, I agree with that. I'm your angel, folks. So, of course, remember, remember, Satan was an angel too. <laughs> so it could be either way. It could be either way, Kim. <laughs> yeah, we. Oh, Lordy. So whether it's the messengers of the church or it's you know angels that are meant to guide us and direct us and help us, because I do. I, I'm not sure about guardian angels that are because we have the Holy Spirit, but I do know there are. There is a spiritual realm we are very unaware of. There are demons and there are angels that we that are doing work on heaven and on earth that we cannot see. Uh, I think sometimes we get to get a glimpse uh, of those, those areas. Like I, I know uh, my mom hates me telling this story, these stories, but my mom's house uh, was had demons in it, and I'm not just talking about me and my brothers and sisters. Uh, I saw things. I remember one day I was about 12 years old. I was downstairs watching TV in the basement, and I heard somebody calling me upstairs. And so I go to the stairs and look up, and there's a little boy I've never seen in my life saying, hey, Sean, come play with me. Sean did not go play with him. Sean went out the back door and went over to his neighbor's house. because I'm like, I don't know who that kid is. Uh, we've all, we all, all of us, my brothers and sisters, we've all seen things. We've all heard things. There is a spiritual realm that we are unaware of. Uh, and as believers... We cannot be possessed by demons, but we can be oppressed by them. We can be influenced and controlled by them. So that's why I kind of lean towards their angels who are fighting that battle to get, you know, to, of, of control of the believers. So it could be angels. It could be messengers and our pastors. It could be either one. That's a good thing about that. You know, we just, we, we can, to me, I don't think there's one definitive answer that is right or wrong that changes the Bible or changes the gospel. You know, when we get to things like, did Jesus really die and rise again? There's definitive answers. There's definitive things. You know, there are some things in scripture that we say, no, this is right. But there are some things where, and that's why I love studying Revelation or Genesis, because Genesis, there's so much stuff in Genesis that you just, it leaves you like, okay, when Cain killed Abel and was scared of people, Who's he scared of? You know, who's he afraid of? There's, there were four people on the earth, according to the Bible, and he just killed one of them. But he's scared of people in the cities. Where did they come from? Don't know. We can debate it. We can talk about it. We can have fun with it. It doesn't change the gospel. It doesn't change the fact that Jesus still had to come as a virgin-born son of God, live a perfect life, die in our place, rise again to redeem us to God the Father. So this, we're like, well, I think it's angels. Well, I think it's pastors. It can be, to me, it, I can see it going either way, which is one of the things that, you know, again, these are one of the questions we're going to have to look at and say, I don't 100% know. It could be one, it could be the other. If you believe one way and I believe another way, that's fine. If we still believe Jesus died and rose again, we're fine. We'll, fi we'll figure it out 
one day when we get to heaven and say, all right, Jesus, what? Because <laughs> you said that like we should know what you were talking about, but we still don't know what you're talking about. But anyway. I'm sorry, what? What do you mean, see your? Oh, 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 oh. Um, no, uh, I, I think, huh? He could explain it. Ask him. I don't know. Uh, again, to me, uh, again, because you know, some people like, oh, well, you know, it's it's grandma's ghost. Or something. There, there aren't ghosts. You know, your your loved ones are in one of two places, and you know, personally, once I get to heaven. I don't care how bad of a message April needs to hear from me. I ain't coming down to talk to her. I'm worshiping Jesus. I'm happy. I'll talk to you when you get up here. Uh, it could be demons trying to confuse you or trick you. Or it could be angels trying to comfort you. Don't know. Because, again, there's that spiritual realm we don't know a whole lot about. And so, you know, I don't think, you know, grandma's haunting you. Uh, because again, mom, grandma's in heaven and she ain't coming down to see you at all. But I do think we can get spirits that maybe are trying to tell us something, maybe for good, maybe for bad. I don't know. You don't think it could act. You think right now, because they are in heaven that, and they're spiritual beings, that God could not be given them permission to comfort themselves? I think, I, I don't. I don't think no, because I don't think uh, I don't think us as believers who go to heaven. I don't think we can go back and forth. Now, I do think God can give angels the ability to look like our loved ones if we do need to have a message or if we do need comfort. Well, it's not them. I don't. I don't think so. I mean, again, I can't say it. I can't say it one way. I can't. I, I mean, I don't. I don't believe so. There's nothing in the scripture that tells me that. Uh, and like I do know, you know. Um, if, you saw, if you saw that, it's, it's real. I'm sorry. If it's happened to you, it's real. It's like a little boy. Yeah, I'm not saying that you. I'm not saying you didn't have a vision of a loved one, and they told you a message. I'm just saying I personally don't think it was your love. It could have been a spirit taking on an angel taking on the form of a loved one to give you a message, or to give you comfort. You know that that's something that's totally physical, that's totally possible. Well, if it's Well, that's because I didn't know that little boy. Uh, still, he's just some <laughs> he's just some creepy little kid saying, "Come play with me." <laughs> yeah, what? I'm in the middle of nowhere in Rustburg. Ain't nobody supposed to be in that house. <laughs> so when there's anything in that house, we're gone. I don't care what's going on. So I mean, again, the spiritual realm is so unknown to us. I mean, it's so mystical that. Paul, when he visited, when he went to heaven, and again, I think he did die because he didn't, he got stoned enough to die, and then got up, and, so I think he died and resurrected, but he couldn't even say for sure. He said, I, he goes, was I there? Was I in the body? I, I don't know. It was just so overwhelming, and Paul was one of the smartest apostles in the Bible. You know, he was well-versed in everything, and he still had no idea what he was looking at. And so could there be loved ones coming back? Could there be spirits taking on the form? I don't know. Those are one of those things we're going to have to wait to heaven and, 
ask God. And God may say, yeah, I sent your, your husband back to you. What are you talking about? Or no, you know, he was up here worshiping me. That was, that was you know, Jeeves, the angel that's dedicated to you. Just wanted to comfort you a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, to bring people up, which, I mean, and again, I don't think people in that time actually communicated with the dead because when that woman brought up uh, Samuel, she's like, oh my gosh, it worked. I actually brought somebody up. What are you doing here? Uh, it kind of freaked her out that what she did worked. So uh, I think a lot of them were messing with demonic power. And maybe that's why when an actual soul came back, but again, he wasn't in heaven. He was in Abraham's bosom. You know, he wasn't in heaven yet. And that's one reason, you know, because people talk about, uh, I've heard preachers use it to kind of shame people, like, you know, don't do that sin because grandma's watching you. Um, I don't think grandma's watching me. Uh, well, my grandma's definitely not. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, Because, again, if you're in heaven... You've got better things to do than check out what people are doing on earth. Plus, sin cannot be in heaven. So how could they be a witness to sin? You know, they, 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 they're completely sinless. So how could they be a witness to sin that's going on? Now, God sees sin, but God's different than them. Uh, but, you know, so it's like, you know, got to be careful. Granny's watching you. No, no Granny, if she, if she could watch you, I think she's going to be too busy worshiping Jesus. And spending time with him because that's what I'm going to do. You know, even people like, you know, oh, my, my grandpa died and he's, he's fishing at the Crystal River. And, and no, he's not. He's worshiping Jesus. That's what every believer is going to do when they get to heaven. And we're going to see how they do it in just a bit, according to what I believe Revelation teaches us. But anyway, so Revelation tells us there's the seven angels. The seven the stars represent the angels. Uh, the candles represent the church. Uh, and the, the candlesticks, of course, they represent the illumination that we as believers are supposed to shine forth about the truth of God into darkness. That is, the purpose of candles is to shine light into darkness. That's the purpose of us as believers, to shine light into darkness. That's the mission of the church as a whole, but it's also the mission of each individual believer. Jesus said it. We are the light of the world. The light of of the gospel is to shine the truth from inside of us to a dark and a dark world. But also what we see with Jesus in the middle of these candlesticks is Jesus is walking among his church. He they is represent the churches also. Huh? They represent the, the candlesticks. Christ, yeah. But of the churches also. Yes. Yeah, uh, but he's walking among the church. He is ministering and he is overseeing his church. And as his church, we are responsible for sharing the light of the gospel to the lost world. Now, uh, we're going to look at his, his appearance, according to John, which is very odd, to say the least. So look in Revelation 1. We're going to start reading in verse number 13. <clears throat> and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as they, if they burn into a fur, in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, 
and his countenance was as the sun shineth uh, in his strength. All right, so uh, this is a very confusing image. If you Google search this image, you're going to get a whole lot of stuff. I actually used an AI art generator, typed in the description that John gave us about Jesus in this passage, and here's what I got. I don't know why he looks like a Lord of the Rings character, uh, but that's the best AI could come up with. Um, you know, I don't believe that's what Jesus looked like at all. Uh, here is really the best representation, and it's not great, but it's one of the better represent representations of what Jesus looked like according to John. Uh, of course, his hair is not long enough. The seven candlesticks are wrong. They're supposed to be menorahs, not seven torches. But he does have a sword coming out of his mouth, and he does have the keys to hell and death uh, on his hand, uh, on his wrist. And so that's as best as we can figure that John looked like, uh, but it's still not great. There's really no way for us to, shit to know for sure what John saw when he saw Jesus until we see Jesus. Yes, ma'am. Okay, if you look in Exodus 28, verses 2 through 4. Uh-huh. Well, it's still not a great description. I mean, but they're saying that he was the priest. That he was actually, anyway, just... 28, 2 through 4? Oh, the clothing of the priest? Yes. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's got, he, he's kind of, yeah, you get his garment description, but the rest of him, eyes like fire, face like sun, sword out of his mouth. It's, it's weird. Uh, and again, we'll see when we see Jesus face to face. Now, according to the rules of interpretation, uh, we look for an explanation of what John saw in this passage, but there's not one. So we have to go back further in the book we are studying. We're in Genesis 1, so we can't really go back further. So we go back further in the Bible to find out any details that we can see. So turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. And again, I did not mark my Bible so we can all get there at the same time unless you've got your phone out and you're going to beat me. Uh, Daniel, actually you're not because I turned there first. Oh, Daniel chapter 7. I have no idea what number I'm on. I don't mark that. I do, I do these things separate. I always think. Okay, we're, we're going to, we are on number four, but we're answering it right now. So, and it's going to be a long answer. No, 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 you're good. You're good. That's why I need it. Huh? I'm continuing on giving us, we're showing how John's description compares to other descriptions of Jesus. And here's the thing we got to remember, and we're going to get to that. John is not seeing Jesus in his earthly form. He's seeing Jesus in his heavenly form, how Jesus typically looks. He looked completely different on earth because if he came to earth looking like that or like an elfin warrior, uh, we would all freak out. So his earthly body and his earthly appearance is vastly different from his, what he typically looks like in heaven. And John is seeing him as he truly is hmm? in his heavenly form, as the rest of the people in the Bible did. So look at John, uh, Daniel chapter 7, uh, verse number 9. 
Daniel's another weird book to go through. You got hands writing on walls that are weird. Uh, anyway, beheld, I beheld till the thrones were cast down in the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is another word, another name for Jesus. And Jesus tells us that in, in uh, Revelation because he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus always has been and Jesus always will be. So Daniel here is talking about Jesus. I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like a, the fiery flame, and his wheels, obviously he's not on roller skates. Wheels, when you look at the Hebrew, it's just talking about his feet. I don't know why the King James translated feet to wheels, but they did. So his wheels or his feet are as burning fire. So we get a very similar image to what John saw, Long white robe, hair white as, white as wool, uh, eyes burning like fire, his feet burning like, like brass. Now let's flip over to J Daniel chapter 10. <clears throat> and there's a method to my madness. We're going to see how they all look the same, and then we're going to explain what, the, what the, all these pieces mean. All right, so Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse number 4. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hittichel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked and beheld a certain man clothed in white linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Upaz. Now, gird, uh, loins girded with gold is the same thing John talked about, the sash of gold that Jesus was wearing according to John's revelation. His body was like beryl, and his face as the appearance, appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire. Again, remember John said his face was as bright as the sun. You can't look directly in the sun. You can't look directly at lightning because it's too bright. Anybody been seen? I mean, I know we can look lightning far away. You ever seen lightning like real close? Whole sky turns bright white. And it's, it's blinding. So again, we're getting a very similar description. His eyes as lamps of fire. Remember John said his eyes burned like fire. Uh, his arms and his feet, like in the color of polished brass. John said his feet were like polished brass. It's come out of the furnace. And the voice of his words was the voice of a multitude. Now, again, uh, John said his voice was as the voice of the noise of many waters. You know, it sounded like an, a deafening waterfall. That's the same thing that Daniel's talking about, a voice of a multitude. If you've ever been near a waterfall, it's loud, it's roar. If you've ever been at a football stadium, not Scott Stadium recently, but uh, Scott Stadium several years ago when we beat Tech, it's deafening. Uh, just the roar of the crowd. You can't hear anybody. You, can't, you, know, you know people are talking, but you don't know what they're saying because it's just so loud. So that's what Daniel is telling us as well. So John's description of Jesus' appearance is similar to Daniel's description. They saw the same person, and described the same thing. So that tells us when Jesus appears in Scripture throughout the Bible in his glorified body, he's the same. Now we know that, and you know, anyway, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But we need to understand John is seeing Jesus in his heavenly form, which John was not used to seeing. John saw him as a man. John saw him as a regular person who even the Bible says, even as a man, wasn't much to look on. 
And now here's this magnificent, glorified, just, just thing that's so incredible, he can't even really properly describe it. So Daniel tells us that what he saw and what John saw are consistent. But we still don't have an explanation for what they all mean. So we got to look elsewhere. Thankfully, though, Isaiah gives us an explanation about what this appearance means. So turn over to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. You can get the Song of Solomon you've gone through. No one asked me to do a deep dive on Song of Solomon. Why not? That's an R-rated book right there. <laughs> That's for married couples only. Can't talk about that in teen group. Uh, all right, Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse number 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, again, a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Who was Jesse's son? David. King David. Whose lineage did Jesus come from? David. So he is, a, he is a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. And notice branch there is capitalized because it's not a stick. It's a title. It is what he is called. Shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Again, this is talking about Jesus. Uh, and I want you to count the spirits here. The spirit of wisdom. First, you've got the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Those are the seven spirits that rest on Jesus. Again, seven is a very important number. Uh, verse 3, And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge over the sight of his eyes, neither reprove the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breadth of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and the righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and the faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Now, so that clears everything up, right? Y'all understand what the description is now? Got it? All right, good. Let's come out. No. All right. The descriptions of what Jesus looks like and what these things mean are in there. Now, it may not make any sense, but let me explain it. This passage, again, is a description of Jesus, the rod out of the stem of Jesse. We get a few descriptions in this passage. Look at the girdle again. Uh, but with righteousness, you'll judge the poor. Verse 4, and equity for the meek, the earth shall he smite with the earth with the rod of his mouth. Uh, verse 5, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Now, Daniel told us that Jesus had a girdle of gold around him. John tells us the same thing, but John doesn't call it a girdle. He calls it a sash. This golden girdle or golden sash represents the faithfulness and the righteousness of Jesus. Then in verse 4, we, with, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the equity of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. You know what another, what the Hebrew word for that's translated rod there can also be translated to? Sword. The sword... Of his mouth. Remember, John saw a sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. So the sword coming out of his mouth shows uh, that his breath of his lips can slay the wicked. Simply put, 
The sword out of his mouth is the word of God. The word of God destroys wickedness. It destroys sinfulness. It destroys his enemy. So did John really, is Jesus, when John saw him, really have a sword hanging out of his mouth? Or is John just trying to tell us the word of God is powerful? His, his words can destroy. I mean, his words created everything. He spoke everything into existence. Certainly his words could take everything right back out. So did John really see Jesus with the sword? Maybe. I just think John's trying to tell us the word of God is powerful. And it destroys wickedness. So let's get looking at the description. Uh, John says that his voice sounded like many waters. Now look over at uh, Psalms chapter 93. <clears throat> and I know right now I look it, I'm flying, but we're going to wrap it all up cleanly, concisely, and neatly for you. So uh, Psalm 93, we're going to get to all of these and just kind of showing you what they mean. Uh, verse number one. <clears throat> the Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. The world also is established, and it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. So the sound of many waters is talking about the might and the power of God through his word. God's word has power, but God's power is seen through his word. You know, God created everything by his word. The Word of God is the ultimate power in the universe. It's not midichlorians that the Jedi look for or any of that. It's not plutonium. It's not some faraway asteroid that's going to you know, give us some great you know, new mineral. The greatest power in the entire universe is the Word of God. Uh, now look, flip back over to Isaiah 63. Uh, Isaiah 63, um, we're going to start, we're going to look at verse number three. It says, I have trodden the winepress alone. Now, how many of y'all have seen that episode of I Love Lucy where she makes wine in Italy? You know, that's how they, that's how they made wine in this time as well. They, uh, they put all the, wine, the grapes in a vat and then just stomped on them. Um, now, once they stomped them a little bit, then they would put kind of a, a crank on it, a lid on it, and they would crank it down to press it all out. But they started with just stomping on the grapes. And uh, so Jesus, you got to look at the description here. Jesus says, this is Jesus talking, I have trodden the wine press alone, and the, of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain and will I will stain all my raiment. Now, this is talking about we're, we're getting a description of what his feet made of brass looks like. This shows his judgment on the unrighteous and the sinfulness of the world. Uh, none of this. Now he says, "I'm gonna I'm gonna crush him. I'm gonna crush right unrighteousness with my judgment." 
with, that's what equity is. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy the sinfulness and the unrighteousness of the world. I'm going to trodden them out like you uh, step on a wine press. Now, none of this is a, is a huge, none of these characteristics should be a huge revelation to any of us. We all know Jesus is pure. We all know he's holy. We all know his word of God is, the Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful like a two-edged sword. Uh, dividing asunder. We know the word of God's powerful. We know his word is powerful. He created everything. We know that his judgment is, is quick and, and sure and right. We know all of this, but it does show us why this method of interpretation is important. Why we do not have to guess at what something means. The answer is always in scripture. We don't got to, you know, figure out and say, well, you know, I, I think his feet of brass just means he's really tired from walking all day. No, you know, we don't got to figure it out. We can find out what these things mean. We can always find uh, what something means in the Bible. We just have to look for it. Uh, and we, not only do we not have to guess, we should never guess. And again, if we can't find a definitive answer, we can simply say, I don't know. Maybe I'll find it one day. Maybe I won't. If I don't, I'll ask Jesus when I get to heaven, uh, what did you mean by that? Or really, I'll just have him replay it back in real time for me, and I'll watch what John watched. And maybe I can say, John, you said that was a sword. That's not, come on, John, you get a better understanding of that. Anyway, um, so these descriptions reveal to us the symbolism of what John saw. So here it's wrapping it all together. Uh, the glow that Jesus had, it shows us his holiness and his purity. His robe represents, and I actually, I did have it in my later, it was in last week's notes, the Exodus thing. His robes show us not only his kingship, but also his priesthood. Uh, and, his, his show, and his sass, his sash, or his girdle, shows us his faithfulness. His eyes, burning like fire, show us his piercing discernment. You, you can't get anything by God. Hmm? You can't ever... You know, you can't lie to God. You know, you ever, you ever tried to do that? I've done it. I'm confessing sin and I'm like, I'm not going to confess. I'm just going to kind of, you know, I'm not going to tell God everything. You know, I have, I, that was when I was a young Christian. Look, God knows everything. You know, he, he, you, can't get, you can't trick God. You can't con God. He knows everything. His eyes are discerning. His face uh, is shining with the light of the truth. His glowing bronze feet show us his judgment as he tramples out his wrath on the unrighteous. The sword out of his mouth shows us the power of his word. Again, we don't have to guess. We can find the answer somewhere in the Bible. Now, John's vision of Jesus is consistent with God's appearance elsewhere in the Bible when he appeared in his heavenly form. There were a few times in the Old Testament he appeared in a human form. I believe Melchizedek was not a type of Christ. I believe he was Christ. But again, he didn't appear to Abraham in his heavenly form because if he shows up to Abraham like that, Abraham's an old dude. He's going to have a heart attack and die. So he showed up in, a, in an earthly form to not scare Abraham to death uh, because when he, whenever people do see him in his heavenly form, they react the exact same way that John does. John says, I fell down like I was dead. Same thing Daniel does, same thing Isaiah does, same thing Ezekiel does. They see God, they fall down on their face, scared to death. Uh, now, the details show us God's character, which isn't surprising. But I want us to see how, God, how John responds. Everybody got all this? All right, I can go back. 
But look over in Revelation chapter 1 again. Way back to Revelation 1. Uh, start in verse number 17. <clears throat> when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, and behold, was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things unto that thou hast seen, and the things which thou that are, and the things which shall be hereafter. We're going to get that one anyway. So John, uh, you know, again, remember he's in in the spirit on the Lord's day. He's having a really good day with God, uh, which to me shows me his character, because he's an old man who's been cast away on an island by himself. And now maybe you know, I personally, I would like to be on an island by myself in the Mediterranean. Sounds like a great vacation. You know, nobody to bother me. Uh, I can just sit around and pray to God all day. And that's what John's doing. He's praising God. He's having a great day with God. And suddenly he hears this incredible voice that sounds like a trumpet just because it's so sudden and so so authoritative. Uh, he swings around. He gets this incredible vision of Jesus, and he tries to describe it. Now, this is what I think John looked like when he saw Jesus. <laughs> just... Totally amazed at what he would happen. Uh, he is awestruck and he is amazed at what's going on, but he's also fearful. I mean, remember that before we look at it all day. He's also very fearful. Uh, he says he falls down like someone who is dead. He is paralyzed by fear. Now, that's not unique. Throughout Scripture, we see men who get a glimpse of Jesus do the exact same thing. They fall down as dead in fear of the Lord. Ezekiel did it. He saw God and was so scared he fell on his face. Daniel does the same thing. It isn't just God that does this, though. Angels, when people get a true vision of God's, you know, uh, God's archangels, they fall down dead, too, because, again, we've got this image of angels in our, in our mind. You know, they're the, maybe they're these fat little babies with, you know, harps and string, and, you know, God's going to that when they show up, Man, they're, they're nine, ten feet tall. They're glowing. They have huge wings. And these are just the angels God lets us see. I mean, remember the angels that Isaiah saw? Four faces, eight wings covering them. I'm like, that would freak me out. Uh, but, you know, these angels show up. They're huge creatures with these huge wings. They're glowing with righteousness. They have these huge flaming swords. And they show up like, hey, Mary, got a message for you. And Mary's terrified. Every time someone comes in contact with an angel, the first thing the angel says is, don't be afraid. They should really like wear a name tag. Hi, I'm Gabriel. Don't be scared. <laughs> I'm here to help. And, uh, you know, so that it's exactly what happens when you come face to face with true holiness and true righteousness. Now, it's surprising in this case because John was so close to Jesus. He spent at least three years walking with him. He was, again, he, he says it in his gospel, and I don't think, you know, people are like, oh, he's bragging. The Holy Spirit told him to say it, told him to say he's the disciple that Jesus loved. And it's not talking like, you know, he's not like, Jesus loved me, Peter. He didn't like you because you cussed too much. <laughs> no, he's, he's like, I'm just, I was, I was so close to Jesus. We were like best friends. He's the one that on the cross, Jesus said, John, take care of mom. 
He entrusted his mother with, with John. They were extremely close. And so they were very, very close. John knew him very, very well. But John hadn't seen him in about 60 years. Now, you would think it's a joyful reunion. You know, I love watching those videos of soldiers coming home and their dogs finding them. I mean, look, Scarlett does that to me when I'm gone for, for you know, three hours. You knock on them and she's like, oh, I love you so much. When I'm gone for a week on vacation, she just goes nuts when I come home. But these dogs, you know, they, they see their owner. They see their person for the first time after several years. And they just, they're going nuts and just jumping all over them. And you would think that's what Jesus, that's what John would do. He would, you know, run up and hug him. Uh, but that's not what he does. Uh, you know, um, it's not a joyful reunion for John because Jesus doesn't look like he did the last time John saw him. He doesn't sound like he did the last time John saw him. John is terrified. That tells us something. When, when Jesus walked the earth, his appearance was different than any other time in eternity. When he appeared in the Bible before his, before his birth, the same thing is said about him, the same fear. And again, this isn't when Jesus comes to earth. These are when men get a vision of Jesus in heaven. So when they see Jesus in his heavenly form, they have the same fear. After his ascension, he took back on his glorified form again, and the same thing happens. Now, how many of y'all have seen this picture? It's called First Day in Heaven, right? And that's what we think is going to happen. We're going to close our eyes in death. We're going to open them and see Jesus face to face. We're going to run up and hug him. It, I heard, I was, uh, I was studying, I heard a, 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 a pastor say this. If, if your God's a God you can run up and hug, he's not much of a God. We're not going to see him as he was on earth. We're going to see him as he is now. And we are going to be awestruck by him. Like John. Like John. Now, John was scared because, again, John wasn't in heaven yet. John was still alive, and he's just he's living his best life on Patmos, and all of a sudden, there's Jesus there. Uh, when we get to heaven, I don't think we're going to be afraid. Again, the fear of the Lord that John isn't, I'm scared God's going to kill me. It's a reverence, and that's what we're going to feel. We are going to be so in awe of him, so in reverence of him, of his holiness, of his glory, we're going to fall down and worship him. And we're going to just stay at his feet for a couple million years. Now, the new earth, I don't know. Maybe he's going to take on his earthly form on the new earth and you can't hang out with him and play some volleyball and, you know, high-five Jesus then. But the first, the first day in heaven, you ain't running up and hugging him. You're going to run up and fall at his feet. And you're going to worship him. Um, based on John's account, what we see later in Revelation, that's not going to happen. We're going to see Jesus and we're going to fall down and worship him and worship him at his feet. Uh, the God that created everything with his words should inspire us to worship him. Should, well, the first time we see our Savior face to face, yes. Are we going to be grateful? Of course. Are we going to want to praise him for all of eternity? Of course. But when we first get a true glimpse of who Jesus really is, how holy he is, how righteous he is, how his judgment is pure and sure, how his, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to fall down and just worship him. That's going to be our first response. Uh, over in Philippians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse number 6. Uh, you know, I have these tabs and I never use them. Philippians chapter 2, 
verse number six. I didn't put it on the screen here. Uh, but it says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took, him, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion of men, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, now that's how Jesus was on earth. That's the idea we have of him in our mind. This humble man who walked around with Birkenstock sandals and a, and a, and a robe, uh, and he probably did. Just, you know, he, was a, he, he, he loved everybody. He took care of everybody. He went to the prostitutes and the, the, the people that were rejected and the lepers, and he went to them, and none of them ever on earth fell down and worshipped him and weren't all of him. They loved him, and he loved them. I mean, you think, again, the Last Supper, John is laying his head on Jesus' shoulder. He's snuggling up to Jesus, and now 60 years later, he's down at his, at his, his feet worshipping him because in verse number 9, says, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. He went, he went from what we see in Daniel, what we see in Ezekiel, what we see in Isaiah, what we see in Revelation, and he became a lowly, humble servant. He became a regular man. He became like us. He became lowly, and he died on the cross. But in a, in, it was a significant moment that he took on flesh, and became a man. That's all we know of him. That's how we assume he will be. But that's not true. This chapter shows us that we are going to worship him because we are going to see Jesus as he truly is. John knew him better than any human on earth. And when he sees Jesus in heaven for the first time in 60 years, he falls down in awe and worship him. Jesus recognizes John's fear and tells him, don't be afraid, I'm still Jesus. He describes himself, I'm the first and the last. I live even though I died and I will never die again. I've got the keys of death and hell. He doesn't describe himself with temporal qualities. He uses his physical characteristics. He describes himself, I mean, he doesn't uh, describe himself with physical characteristics. He describes himself with his eternal characteristics. He doesn't say, hey, John, it's still me. I still got my beard, still got my, you know, my long flowing locks. Again, Jesus does not have long hair because Philippians says it was a shame for a man to have long hair. Then say, can a man have long hair now? I don't care. Uh, you know, Reggie, if you can grow hair, go for it, buddy. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> do what you want to do. Uh, I don't think Jesus had long flowing locks uh, because in that culture it was different. But, you know, he doesn't say, hey, John, it's still me. You know, see, he doesn't say like he did Thomas, look at the holes. We'll look at the scars. He doesn't use his physical characteristics. He uses his eternal characteristic. He goes, John, I've always been. I've always been this. I've always, I, I, I've always been God. I'm the first. I'm the last. I died once, but I'm never going to die again. Uh, talks about his death and his resurrection. And so we're going to end tonight by looking at what John, Jesus told John to do in Revelation 119. And again, we're just kind of getting ready for next week. Uh, we're probably not going to spend so much time on this because if you were here during the last session, you know this is basically the outline of Revelation. You know the outline. What he saw, what is, what will be. But look at verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. So we spent a lot of time on this in the last study, so we're not going to go into great detail now. 
But Jesus gives John a three-point outline of the book of Revelation. Um, and he tells him to write what he sees during that time for us to read today. He says, write the things which you had seen up to that point. That's everything John experienced before chapter 2. Everything that he had on that he, that well, he saw on Patmos, everything that he experienced in the Gospels, everything. Because right, what the things that 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 you have that are that were the things which you have seen. Uh, then he tells him the things to write the things that are and the things that will be. Now the things that are are chapters two and three, and that's what we experience. What and we we again we look at this a great detail. That's everything from. Th from that moment then until the end of the church age, which is going to be, you know, a while, and we'll get to that later. Uh, that'll be one day soon when Jesus returns, and then the things that will be. So chapter 1 contains all the things John saw. So at the end of chapter 1, we have studied a third of the book of Revelation. Well, a third of the outline of Revelation. There's still a whole lot. The things that are are two chapters, and the things that will be are a lot of chapters. And I know that's what you all come for, the things that will be. And we'll get to the things that will be one day. Uh, but so next week, we're going to begin chapter number two. Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.